And just like that, we're live. Just like that. I haven't said that for a while. Tommy Cooper, that. Just like that. Classic. Absolute classic. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I am your host, as always, Kane Sims. And today I am going to be having an epic conversation with JP, who is the co-founder and CTO of SmartBot. We're going to be talking large language models, generative AI. We're going to be talking Amazon Bedrock with the SmartBots platform and how brands can build applications uh, utilizing SmartBots, Amazon Bedrock, foundation models and large language models. Uh, things to watch out for, challenges you might see, opportunities that exist. Uh, the top questions that brands have, we will have answered during the next hour or so. I'm going to introduce JP in just one moment. But first, I absolutely need to tell you about the AI World Series, which is happening uh, next March in, oh, sorry, next May in Dubai. Uh, if you are working on AI, uh, generative AI, or more traditional forms of AI, if you're working on conversational AI, uh, any use cases involving AI, if you feel as though what you're working on is spectacularly award-worthy, then you can enter the AI World Series. There's categories for all different types of AI deployments in insurance, healthcare, travel, hospitality, education, logistics, entertainment, e-commerce, government, utilities, you name it. Uh, and there's very specific kind of product-focused categories as well, which is the best use of generative AI in product, the best use of generative AI for a text application, image application, video, image, uh, audio, uh, the best predictive analytics AI product, you name it. There is so many different categories covering the width and breadth of AI capabilities. And so, as I said, if you are working on something, doesn't matter where you are in the world, you could be absolutely anywhere in the world. If you are working on something that is uh, award-worthy, then you should definitely consider entering. If you're a consultancy or a system integrator that's working on behalf of clients, you can enter. If you are a, a brand that's doing some interesting stuff, you can enter. If you're a vendor that's doing some interesting stuff, you can also enter. The, the, the Literally, it's as, as wide as you, can, uh, as you can make it. So if you are working on anything that is interesting, that you're proud of and you want you and your team and your company or your clients to get the recognition that they deserve, then please consider entering the AI World Series. You can go to AIWorldSeries.com forward slash enter to find out a lot more about it. And so hopefully you will do that. And the other thing that we're doing, um, let me just see, see if I can find it. It is the Call and Contact Center Expo. It's going to be in uh, two weeks' time in London. It's at the XL Arena. And you name the, the, all of the brands that you would expect to be there are there. All of the customer experience and AI automation platforms are going to be there. Some of the world's largest brands, some of the, certainly the country's largest brands that are doing some interesting stuff with AI and customer experience are going to be there. Co-op, Deliveroo, AA, Alliance Insurance, Aviva, American Express, Barclays, BBC, Boots, Department for Work and Pensions, Vodafone, you name it. It's going to be absolutely full of people pushing the boundaries as far as customer experience is concerned. And yours truly is giving a little talk as well on whether or not AI in the call centre is a danger, threat or an opportunity. I think for those of you who listen to this podcast, you definitely know where I stand on the matter. Uh, but there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions right now about the ethical use of AI, the responsible use of AI, and what it's going to do for the job market, certainly in the contact center and call center and customer experience. And I do have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, there's been some, lots of research published on on potential forecasts into that uh, area, and I'm going to be talking about all of that uh, in on the 29th of November, so 29th to 30th. So if you are around London. Get yourself there. You can go to callandcontactcentrexpo.co.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful, so I will put the links in the show notes uh, so you can go ahead and uh, 
and find out more about that. So anyway, without further ado, boys and girls, please welcome JP, this co-founder and CTO of Smartboss. JP, welcome to VBAX World, my friend. Hey, Keen. Uh, it's nice to be here. Uh, I'm JP. Jay Prakash is my full name. Uh, people know me as JP and I'm the co-founder at Smartboss. Yeah, and I'm really excited to be part of your show today. And at this part of uh, time in India, we celebrate Diwali, which is a festival of uh, lights. And there's a lot of fun and excitement going around. And uh, last one week, I've been spending good quality time with my family and friends. A lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And uh, the, the next week is going to be also exciting because I'll be at Las Vegas. I'll be attending AWS reInvent. While I'll also have fun at Las Vegas, I'm also excited to know what AWS has um, uh, to announce. Uh, looking forward for that. So all excitement all around last week, next week. Yeah, really excited. Sounds good. Well, happy Diwali to you and to everyone else that celebrates it. Uh, definitely, definitely a happy time of year and wishing you all the best. Thank you. Cool. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. Um, generally in this space of AI, you know, and it feels as though every week on the podcast we mention since last November, you know, <laughs> but it does, it's, it's still the, the, the interest, the hype, the kind of attention is still going. Open AI is still persevering with updates and, you know, the, the GPTs that are now being uh, uh, given the capability for people to, to build their own GPTs. And that's kind of over the last two weeks, just, you know, skyrocketed and everyone's now building their own GPTs. The jury's still out, I think, long-term what that market looks like and, and what the real value of these things are. Uh, however, the attention is there. Brands are certainly interested. The platforms like the smart bots of the world are, are certainly incorporating this kind of technology into their into their platforms. And so it's definitely an exciting time to be around the AI space. Um, we're definitely going to get into all of that in just a moment. But maybe first, it might be interesting for people to hear, you know, what a, a bit about yourself and a bit about smartbots, really. So, where, where, what's your experience? Where did smartbots come from, and, and what do smartbots do? Absolutely. So, I'll start by introducing or giving a, 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 a gist of how uh, my background or uh, about my education background and then my initial work. That's very relevant to the kind of work we are doing today, and therefore, I'll spend a minute there. So I am a graduate from uh, computer science from IIT Madras. And my mainstream was into uh, data structures and algorithms. And I got, I joined a company which is into uh, uh, bioinformatics. And we I used to do language processing. This is back in 2006. I was working on uh, uh, natural language processing, entity extraction, and all of that uh, fancy stuff. And back then, it was not as cool as it were, as it is today. AI was uh, not as cool as it is it to, is it today, especially in the tech space. Uh, the language understanding space. So uh, again, so there back then I was a software developer coding uh, all this, uh, writing all these algorithms in Python, and it was all exciting. But but that was not it. I was keen on uh, uh, solving real enterprise problems. I was very passionate about taking the bar high to the next level, and that's when I met my co-founder Charan. So Charan comes with vast enterprise experience. So, and I come with data science and uh, uh, software architecture background. So both of us got together. This was about five years back. And text was our area of interest. Uh, natural language processing was both of our areas of interest. And then we went to enterprises trying to help them solve their customer support automation problem. We did a bunch of good quality 
automation solutions. We, we use a lot of cognitive services, which uh, AWS provides. And then uh, we built a few of them on our own. And then we uh, gained a lot of experience in this domain, support uh, automation domain. And yeah, so past one year, we put all that knowledge together in addition to our uh, the the industry knowledge that we have gathered over years, all of that into SmartBot Studio. So that's how the studio took shape. And we were in the process of building this studio and then November 2022 happened. And then a lot of uh, uh, different pivots we have taken with the large language models coming into picture. Uh, in a good way and there's a lot of the best part is a lot of people started listening to what we are doing and are interested and uh, more than what it was before that uh, mm. and then uh, past one year has been crazy we have been actively involved in pro uh, productizing all the learnings that we have got over the past five years uh, and then we released the studio of the beta version recently and it is yeah that, that has been our journey uh, so far Kane. Mm. And so the a lot of companies we had BotPress on the on the podcast a little while back, and uh, Sylvain from BotPress was saying that you know kind of similar journey. It sounds as though, as though you kind of been through, which is for a long while working on a platform and a studio that is intended to you know largely using intent based NLU models and a dialogue manager and all that kind of stuff to to provide businesses with these capabilities, and then. Uh, large language models began to gain a lot more traction although you know some platforms have been using them since before 2022 obviously and i'm sure you had have got experience with it from prior to that as well but that was when a lot of platforms have started to really reimagine things and sylvain from botpress was, was saying telling me that the approach that he took was that really he had to go and, and redesign from the ground up everything that he'd been building for the last three years because things have changed that dramatically. Whereas some of the other platforms, you know, uh, some of the kind of Gartner Magic Quadrant platforms, for example, they've taken a more iterative approach where they've kind of put large language models into the solution and they're part of it, but they're not a kind of, it's not a, it's not from the ground up kind of overhaul sort of thing. So where where would you say that you are with SmartBots and, and how has that impacted what you've been doing with the studio is it a ground from the ground up complete re-architecture and a different paradigm or is it more kind of incrementally implementing capabilities where it makes sense yeah for us the timing worked really well so this uh, uh, we started developing the studio sometime in uh, august september last year and we were doing all the uh, the the conceptualization for some time and that's when we, we actually are we worked on large language models even before ChatGPT became famous uh, in fact we were uh, in one of our enterprise solutions we have used open ai's embeddings for uh, for doing an faq based bot right so that was all custom development before our studio came in so that that area is something which we were familiar with and in terms of the uh, application development, the product, SmartBot Studio development, our timing really worked out. We didn't have to uh, re-engineer uh, any of the stuff because we were at that time building our product. And uh, by April, we got the first cut of our product, uh, beta version, which we have announced at, uh, uh, at Call and Contact Center Expo in Las Vegas. So that uh, was, I would say the timing worked really well. And in terms of what is under the hood, 
uh, we have taken best of both worlds. We are using a concept of uh, using a graph, uh, a network X graph combined with large language models to solve the conversational AI uh, problems. And uh, so most of the architecture was based on large language models behind the scene. And we didn't, we, we, we believe that large language models cannot be treated as a black box on which you build a thin layer of application. I don't think that's how it would work for enterprises. We need a reasonable size of an application layer on top of this large language models for enterprises to have enough control when they do uh, the deployment. So, and that's what our studio helps enterprises do. Mm. So that's how we have architected it. Yeah. And we've spoke about this a couple of times on the podcast as well, which is, um, and generally through articles and posts or whatever, is that, is that kind of concept of, because these foundation models are so available, but certainly through OpenAI, like OpenAI are trying as hard as they possibly can to democratize access to this kind of stuff. Every time there's a new release, it, the price comes down. You know, every time there's a new feature, they try as best as they can to remove the requirement to code, like with the new GPTs feature and stuff like that. And so the availability of the models themselves are so broadly available. It's a bit harder to, I suppose, for an inexperienced developer, or not an inexperienced developer, someone who doesn't code to get their hands on, on a, an open source model, for example. You know, it's, it's, it becomes more of a technical challenge. But generally speaking, a lot of models are available. There's lots of products that can be built on top of these models, as we've seen with the Grammarly's of the world and stuff like that. And so from a product standpoint, one of the questions that, that is yet to be answered is what long-term solution exists for those kind of products that are just, as you say, pretty much thin layers on top of a foundation model. Not saying that Grammarly specifically is, but there's lots of products out there that are. Even GPTs themselves actually are inherently a thin layer on top of ChatGPT, really. Um, so, so for brands that are kind of utilizing the APIs on their own, and they're kind of building some sort of thin layer on top of it, <clears throat> what's missing? You mentioned control and stuff like that. Like, What's missing on the application layer to give brands more control and, and more what features are kind of missing to uh, make that solution more of a solution that a brand can sort of, you know, build their own stuff within rather than a thin layer on top, if that makes sense. Sure. So there are multiple use cases of large language models. So large language models are impacting technology and uh, solutions across multiple verticals and multiple industries. So there will be definitely cases where you can live with a thin layer of application on top of this foundation model. But a major portion, especially for enterprise support automation solutions, which is our area of interest, I see that uh, there, is a, uh, there is a middle ground that we need to strike. Uh, the, the legacy systems, as we call, where we have intent-based and workflow-based, where you need to draw each and every step in the conversation flow is on one end. And on the other end, you have uh, GPT-4 kind of uh, models, which are really strong, really uh, uh, powerful, but uh, the application layer on top, on top of that is very thin. So that makes the uh, lose for enterprises they lose control uh, because it's a black big black box. It is a double-edged sword. Uh, at one side it is powerful, but at the same time enterprises might end up uh, compromising their brand uh, or uh, entering into a data security issue at a later stage. So these are the various concerns which I see when enterprises are dealing with this large language model. So to solve this problem, we have hit the middle ground. And that's what uh, we call as the large language model plus graph solution, where 
the idea is this is again specific to customer support where we say that uh, business users are already comfortable doing building business processes right so they use lucid chat for example to build to define a process uh, say for example when uh, uh, an order has to be uh, the status has to be retrieved has to be provided to the end customer maybe at the end of the conversation you need to send an sms to the customer with the status update this could be a standard business practice which enterprises might have taken a conscious call keeping in mind various business reasons be it a brand recall or some other aspect now that if you take an autonomous agent or something closer to an autonomous agent uh, uh, or a custom gpt as we are calling it today uh, there the call is taken by when to send an sms is taken by the autonomous agent uh, under the hood right so which which is like a black box now that is a concern which i which i've practically seen for most of the enterprises see the the thing is the build problem is not really difficult for enterprises which uh with this customer with this custom gpt solutions the build problem is getting solved but my question is is that really a challenge or enterprises are they the the main concern is how to help their customers uh do a self serve to their customers the build problem enterprises are okay to put the energy in uh, building it the right way so we are trying to hit the middle ground not sure if i'm answering your uh, your mm. question to the point but yeah. i'm trying to cover multiple points here Yeah of course yeah so I get what you're saying so <clears throat> on the one hand you've got the intent based stuff define every single in and out of any flow where it's all very deterministic and nothing happens outside of what's being scoped essentially on the other side you have the large language model black box which makes its own decisions it does its own thing which is no control over and you don't know if it's doing the right thing that middle ground that you're suggesting there what does that look like specifically for smart bots is it a case of you know there is a business process that's defined that is more deterministic but then you're leveraging large language models to maybe understand what the user has said possibly generate some responses but you're leaving the logic to be more deterministic like what what is that kind of middle ground you need you, you name it it's uh, exactly the middle ground has as we call it and again we are leveraging a lot of build automation using large really powerful large language models so uh, but if you are a business user uh, and this studio is built for business users not for bot developers if you are a business users today you would be doing the same process definition on lucid chat with our solution you can do the same thing just the way you do it on lucid chat Uh, you can do the same process that uh, process design on smartbot studio and now in addition to the uh, getting a process design which is a simple image you will also get a bot or a conversational assistant uh, to which follows this graph which follows this process and then answers the questions accordingly so it uses the the large language model plus graph is the underlying secret sauce as as we call it which uh, the large language models at each step is guided by the graph and uh, the graph is quite simple the 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 process flow is quite simple which has name description at each stage and then that acts as an anchor for the bot to respond to the user at every stage there are a lot of small small uh, functions that we have defined internally there are tons of them where llms are used i'll take few examples like Uh, at any point of time humans tend to shift between one topic to another topic 
and LLMs are good at identifying that the user has shifted from topic A to topic B. Now we use that function, that feature to determine uh, uh, if, the, if there's a topic shift, this is powered by an LLM. For this, the, uh, we don't use it as a black box, but we use it as a, 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 a new function, which was earlier not possible. And we wire all of that together in the Spotbot Studio. So that's the application layer that I was talking about, which is quite thick on top of large language models. So yeah. That gives that some sense on how we are approaching this problem. Yeah, definitely. So, so when you when you when you're talking about graph, you're talking about as not not necessarily a knowledge graph as such. You're talking about a process map where you would define that's right, the that's process. That's a process map. I'm with you. Yeah. So then, at each stage of that process map, presumably you've got the ability to create effectively your own prompts that guide what should happen at each of those stages. Is that right? You define presumably what do you define the model you want to use, define the prompts you want to use, and does that happen at each stage of the process? That's right. That's right. So the, at each stage, so the, uh, a graph acts as an anchor, and then the inputs that a business user gives on what has to be done at each stage is you is converted to a prompt, an intelligent prompt with a lot of uh, uh, context attached to it, and then that is sent to an LLM, and that's how uh, the graph the the process gets converted to a conversational assistant. I'm with you. Right. And that's where the no code bit comes in because you're basically having the the business user just describe what happens at each stage and then you have a prompt behind the scenes that you insert that into that then takes right. on the action between the, the platform and the, the model. That's exactly how we do. Right, interesting. And how do you kind of, um, one of the one of the things that, I'm sure you've had this question a lot. I'm sure you will continue to get this question all the time. It's one of the concerns that brands have when it comes to using large language models in any description, regardless of how much control we try and wrap around them, is the whole idea of hallucination. And that some brands are kind of a little bit um, trepidatious, for want of a better phrase, uh, phrase uh, around using it because they feel as though they can't control the output and they are not really sure about how much license they should give these models to generate stuff on the brand's behalf. How do you kind of approach that conversation with clients? Are clients concerned about this thing hallucinating, concerned about not having any control over it? What's that discussion like? And then how do you try and navigate that within the platform? Yeah, so there are two parts of this question that you've asked. First part is how do we talk to our client and uh, educate them about hallucination and then uh, tell them about the concerns, where to take care and how to uh, let loose this uh, concern, right? So that that's that's the first part, which is the most difficult part because there's a lot of uh, 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 client-related, uh, at, at an enterprise level, there are a lot of hoops that we need to cross to get to that level of uh, convincing a customer. And the other part is on a technology front, how are we dealing with hallucination? I'll take the mm -hmm. first part on how we talk to enterprises. And this is a real big challenge, to be honest. And there is only one client today we have done a production deployment because, and not because of the technology gap, this is purely because of the, uh, the, the wait and watch approach the clients are taking today. Uh, with large language models. And one of the clients we were successful because we were able to convince them on 
what what is the uh, effect of hallucination uh, when when a bot is built using our studio so they were quite keen on the technology front they were and it was a uh, relatively a small customer so they were they want they took this as a challenge and then moved forward it is definitely a challenge because uh, the what clients are seeing is the general hallucination effect out with the large language models and a bit, with a very thin application layer right so if you if you build a bot giving an instruction be it a custom gpt or an assistant using an api where you give a small set of instructions and a document set of documents that are attached and a set of actions which the bot can uh, determine which one to pick all this is a black box and there's a great chance of hallucination uh, that is what we are fighting with uh, when we are trying to educate the customers that we th that's not the approach that we are taking in smartboard studio uh, there's a great amount of uh, uh, application layer as i said where all these factors are considered and uh, we are not using llm as just a black box right so that is a challenge and to be honest with you we are we are still fighting that fight with our most of our enterprise customers the second part of the conversation is on the technology front of how we are handling hallucination. Now, hallucination is not a big problem in our approach that we have taken. I'll, I'll quote one uh, example, a function that we have built on top of large language models. See, the function is used for uh, LLM. We use LLMs for entity extraction. We don't use it for response generation, right? So there, uh, LLMs do a really good job for the traditional entity extraction, when you say for the flight booking example, how many passengers are traveling? And if you give an answer that two of us are traveling or three of us are traveling, for the traditional entity extraction models, it is easy. But if someone says that I'm traveling with two of my kids, the traditional entity extraction problems fail there. And that is where LLMs can be used. And we are using LLMs for that purpose. Now, there's no concern about hallucination here at all because we are not generating we are using it for decision making that's one application and later in a different application we are using it for deviation as the as i quoted in the earlier example we are trying to understand if the conversation is getting deviated from the from the natural flow from the actual defined flow if people are jumping from one topic to another that decision which is a pure json response that we get back we are doing that using llms so the way we have built LLMs, these LLM functions which are plugged into our dialogue management system are giving the best of both worlds. It is having a control and then there is no hallucination concept at all. That's one side. And there and talking about the response generation where there's a great possibility of hallucination, we have a, a lever there for enterprises. They can choose to, to uh, either give the response as it is uh, which they have composed, they always have an option to uh, uh, to configure their responses. Most of the responses are auto-generated, thanks to, again, large language models, we are auto-generating most of the responses on the studio. But if, if users want to tailor it, they have an option to tailor it, and then there's a lever which they can control, just like the temperature in this uh, large language models, one factor which you can configure. We, we gave a lever to the customers to based on the use case, the amount of uh, 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 the risk they can uh, they can expose this uh, bot to, that is all in the control of the enterprise. That's yeah. how we are handling the technology and business challenges. Frankly, business challenges are, are the most difficult ones, technology challenges we are able to solve to a great extent.
Yeah, yeah. The um, it's not you're not the first company to to say that large language models uh have not been used in response generation, <clears throat> especially in customer support. I think brands are gen- generally a bit more kind of risk averse to to that. It's actually hard enough uh sometimes to to convince them to actually go with with a traditional NLU bot because of the fact that it's it's some external system entity that's not their people basically. Um so it's definitely definitely kind of I can definitely uh, agree with that. Um shout out to Victor Rojo who's said uh good to see you. Good to see you as well Victor. Uh Andrew has hey. said around um this is the conversation we're having earlier on about uh Grammarly. I would recommend that you read the Grammarly technical blog. They've been playing with machine learning for quite a while. No doubt, absolutely no doubt. And when I said earlier on about it being a thin layer on top of a large language model, I was being a bit facetious. I was just using Grammarly as an example of a product. But there's plenty of products that are definitely thin layers over the top of these large language models. Um, and David, uh, about your last example, uh, JP has said, uh, very useful distinctions, thank you, in terms of where you're using LLMs uh, in the application side. Um that's great stuff, and and yeah, I think that the the general awareness and understanding from brands about this stuff is is an area that needs to sort of be addressed because I think that when you see um, OpenAI and you see GPTs and you see ChatGPT and it's kind of like it leads you to believe that everything needs to be generated by, by AI, whereas the generation part, really the generation part, is only good for so far for more creative endeavors really you know it's like and even if for some of those if there's if there's writers and linguists among the listenership then you will know that if you ask chat gpt or claude or bard or any large language model to write you something it's not actually great at writing it's like i've tried and tried and tried to try and get these models to write blog articles successfully I'll feed it podcast transcripts, I'll feed it notes, I'll give it absolutely all sorts of guidance. I've tried loads of different types of prompts. And every single time, it does a good enough job of summarizing what's in the podcast, but it does a terrible job of wording the article in a way that's pleasurable to read. So they they are good at certain things and not so good at others. And the the generation of responses... um, I can understand brands being cautious about that and I can understand the decisions that you would make around, you know, not having that as a mandatory uh, a mandatory thing, basically. Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on... It sounds as though a lot of what you're doing is process-oriented, which makes sense. Customer service, customer support, every use case has got a defined process and that doesn't change regardless of whether you've got generative AI or not. You know, if you want to report a stolen credit card or block a card or you want to change your address or you want to, you know, check on a delivery, the process is the process. It doesn't really matter what generative AI tells you to do. The process is is the process. However, a lot of the use cases around large language models that are slightly less mature than that process-driven ones are, are the ones around kind of question answering and the solutions that many kind of gravitate towards in that realm is the retrieval augmented generation, which is is a you don't have to use that to generate content as such. You could use it to to you know um, pick out the the content that exists and just verbatim read that content back. But you could use it to you know have a large language model and a vector database draw up on various different sources and then have a large language model summarize and reword and, and all that kind of stuff. Where do you stand on 
retrieval augmented generation as a solution? Yeah, so most of the use cases that we encounter today uh, uh, have this retrieval document uh, rag as one of the mandatory feature that uh, we hear from most of the customers we interact with. And uh, we on the studio, we support retrieval augmented generation. Uh, and uh, so we you can upload your documents or you can link it to your documents, um, which, which could be on Google Drive or any other portal. And we uh, have our own chunking strategy. We have our uh, uh, embedding. I mean, we, we use underlying foundation models to generate the embeddings. And then we support multiple uh, vector databases, be it pine cone, uh, uh, and few others. So that, that entire setup is available on the studio. And we always keep the enterprise customers uh, in mind when we do the solutions. And so the, the, there also there are uh, specific requirements that enterprises have, right? So they, they don't want to share the documents. They want to link to the documents. They want, to under, they want the solution to be deployed in their environment, including the embeddings they wanted in their uh, environment. So all this is what we are supporting. So we are taking the rag to the next level to make it enterprise grade. While most of the solutions out there, uh, including the custom GPT, which uh, was recently announced, which supports RAG, uh, th that I feel is the early cut, uh, the first cut, uh, because see, chunking strategy is a key, is a uh, is an important uh, uh, factor while you are defining while you are designing RAG. Right? We need to provide an option based on the document type on which chunking uh, strategy would work for that particular use case. All this, uh, it's not like one one size fits all kind of a solution which is out, uh, which is which was announced by custom GPT, right? So uh, in the custom GPT. So that those problems, we are keeping enterprise in mind and have that so have solved that on Smartboard Studio. And the next one is about FAQs. FAQs are also, we treat them similar to uh, uh, RAG, it's a kind of a solution where all the FAQs convert to an embedding. And then we use, again, a large language model to augment the, the matching FAQ and then generate a response. So we, we do this to steps and this is again uh, configurable on smartboard studio if you want a standalone faq bot or a document bot all uh, both of them are possible on smartboard studio mm, interesting i did have a question about the uh, the faqs well come on to that in a moment on the uh, retrieval augmented generation side <clears throat> the chat gpt uh, gpt's feature i don't know if you saw this but somebody found a kind of hack with that where you, depending on the prompt you give it, you can actually get access to the documents that have been uploaded to train the GPTs, which is uh, scary and definitely a hole that OpenAI should be plugging if they haven't already. Um, the chunking strategy is always seems to me at least to be a challenging thing to do because you need to know the content in order to properly chunk it, basically. The content also needs to be decent, I mean, the amount of brands, I'm sure you've come across many brands that their, their content is a mess, you know, and they don't even know where it is. Or if they do, it's in loads of different types of places. And it's like, you know, a knowledge base over here that gets used for one thing and a CMS over there that's got duplicate content or slightly different content over here. And it's kind of like one quality of content is an issue Two, the kind of format and structure of the content is an issue. Because if you're going to chunk it effectively, 
the content itself needs to be decent in the first place. So how how, how do you approach that? You said there's different chunking strategies. Like how do you approach that particular task of making sure that you can chunk up the data appropriately to give the 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 model the best chance of finding the right content? Yeah, so um, the fundamental approach, the philosophy that we follow is at the build stage, we use extensively large language models, right? So even for chunking, we use large language models. Uh, so a chunk is a good chunk if we are able to make it as cohesive as possible. The chunk should have all the relevant information about a particular topic. And LLMs are good at identifying those chunks. The traditional chunking strategies are around, uh, say, paragraph-wise you chunk or you, you chunk based on the number of uh, characters. So there are, these are the traditional ones, but we spend a good amount of time in the sense when you do a build on a document, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes some amount of time because we chunk it based on, uh, we use an LLM to do the chunking. And the, the this will solve a lot of problems because the embeddings finally that get generated from this chunking are all weighted to uh, avoid duplicates and all. Uh, so those problems are solved at the build time itself to a great extent. And of course, there will be challenges where there will be a duplicate entries across documents. And today we are supporting up to 100 documents, which is a small set as per my understanding with the enterprise uh, in an enterprise scenario. Uh, but 100 documents we are trying, to, we are fine tuning or we are fine tuning our approach to reach a high quality RAG responses. We are also coming up with our own way, uh, metrics to measure the quality of RAG. And finally, there's another uh, research that we are doing on how fine tuning uh, underlying model can help in uh, the quality of the RAG responses. So there are multiple work and this is still an evolving field even for smart bots. But today with 100 documents, we are confident and each document can, up, can have up to 100 pages. So that's the size, that's the volume that we are confident and uh, we are taking up those kind of assignments only with uh, the customers. Mm, but there's lot to do, lot lot coming up. We are also waiting for the overall uh, the 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 data science community to solve most of the problems around RAG. RAG at an MVP level looks cool, but at an uh, at a production grade is uh, has its own challenges. Yeah, yeah, we've we've found that as well. Um, you mentioned there, you know, having having a. Uh, process and techniques around the quality. I definitely want to get onto the the how do you measure the quality of it. But first, are you using RAG in the sense of you're using you're, you're doing the chunking and then you're taking content and regurgitating that content, as in it's just verbatim whatever is in the data is what gets produced, or are you also summarizing and generating responses in that use case, or is it a bit of both? So our APIs. Give both the uh, the reference material and the 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 index of from where we are picking up the answer, just like uh, how most of the uh, RAG solutions today provide. Our APIs do both, and now it is on the channel side. So this solution can be deployed on Teams. Then we have a connector and adapter for Teams, where you can see both uh, the actual the bot response and the uh, the reference text. Both are uh, presented. Okay. Fair enough. And then you said there that you're working on measuring the quality of, of RAG. Like, this is one of the things that large language models is, at least for, from where I stand, is a, is a gap in all of the applications I've seen regarding large language models and generative AI is it's the quality assurance of it, especially 
particularly if you're using it to generate responses to customers, how to make sure those responses are accurate, true, in line with the brand, for example, and all the solutions that I've come across today all use large language models to do that quality assurance, which may end up, may be the right way to do it. But it also sounds a little bit like marking <laughs> your own homework a little bit. So I, I don't, I'm just curious about how people are approaching the whole quality issue inside of it. So I, I don't know whether you have a, a solution that's, you know, boxed off and, and fixed and sorted. You said you're waiting for the data scientist community to kind of catch up. But generally speaking, where are your thoughts at the moment in terms of quality assurance and, and measuring the quality of this stuff? So we, we are uh, partnering with another company in this uh, domain because this needs a lot of uh, science around it. And I, I, I kind of have an idea on how they are approaching this problem. Uh, so they, they again, like, like you said, they are using the best quality LLM as a benchmark, uh, GPT-4 or Cloud 2 as a benchmark to uh, measure the quality of the of rag and that's the that's what we are also doing today and i'm definitely as you said uh, rightly said i'm not 100% happy with the approach but uh, today that's what we have and we wa we want to see like how you have f1 scores for intent classifications and confusion metrics for all the uh, traditional uh, data science problems. We need some quality metrics, and I, I I talk to few data scientists in the Bay Area, and they are coming. They say that there's something coming up, and we are also waiting waiting to see how that would uh, turn out to be. Mm, yeah, yeah def it's definitely something that needs needs attention, doesn't it? Because I think one of the the kind of biggest gaps generally is whenever we do webinars or podcasts or anything around kind of like chatbot or, or AI assistant optimization, it's always well received. And the last one we did a few weeks ago with Wisdom, we asked we, we asked the attendees, we did a poll and said, who has a kind of proven, stable, consistent optimization process? Uh, and I think something like 50 or 60% of attendees said that they didn't. Um, so there's definitely a gap even in the traditional conversational AI solutions around quality assurance and analytic performance and measurement and making sure you're measuring the right things and that the improvements that you make are being focused in the right areas and that you're having the right impact. And then that problem is confound, compounded with large language models because of the, the non-deterministic nature of them. And also the the benefits of them is also the drawback, which is that you don't necessarily have to specify the conversations to be had as long as you've got, as long as you've got the data that could answer the, the queries. It's almost like, well, the data's there. We'll allow people to say whatever it is that they want to say. And as long as we can answer the question of the data, we'll answer it. It's not rather than the other way around, which is let's define all of the things that we're going to allow people to say and then build the answers in underneath that. So the nature of the large language model solutions means that if you don't really know what people are going to say, it's very difficult to then start tracking your accuracy against that. You know what I'm saying? So there's definitely a gap there. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it how it goes, you know? Yeah, sure. Same same with me. I'm really, you know, the metrics is something which has been bothering, uh, uh, like in like uh, like most of the people, bothering smartboards as well. And uh, uh, we, we are trying out a lot of ways internally. And things are working out. We are using... I mean, even for the test case generation, we are using large language models. But on both sides, it's all large language models. On yeah. both the test case generation measurement, 
you you have you're relying heavily on large language models and that's one uh, challenge i think we we'll have to wait and watch how people are going to solve that yeah yeah i mean it might not that might be the best solution that that's just that sometimes if the model changes everything changes <laughs> which is yeah. it's a big dependency isn't it you know like uh, i forget the chap's name now and i'm really sorry for forgetting this but i will uh let me see if i can quickly dig out uh but he's going to be on the hopefully he's going to be on the podcast soon um he's a chap called uh what's his name sorry mate john railing john railing uh he's done a lot of analysis on the kind of performance of gpt4 uh, extensive benchmarking, and then GPT-4 Turbo was released, um, and essentially a lot of things have changed. Some things for the better, but some things not so much. I know I, I, I was I was sidetracked a bit there because I was trying to find I was trying to find the guy's profile. But essentially, what he's done is he's done a lot of benchmarking on GPT-4, and had a lot of data. Did the same benchmark with the updated model. And yeah, some things have changed for the better, some things have changed for the worst. And so the concern that that I have around all this kind of stuff around relying on measuring the performance with the same tools that are used to generate the solution is that when the model changes, it's impossible to work out what's actually changed. Therefore, it's impossible to work out whether the things that are still, the things you're measuring, the way that the application's being built and everything is is, is it still performing as it was you know i don't know if you had any thoughts about that i don't know you've got you know, I mean, we'll get into some of the solutions around amazon bedrock and there's lots of different models behind probably there isn't an over reliance on one particular model in your kind of uh, architecture but i'm wondering if you, whether you've given that any thought around kind of yeah what happens if the models sure, change yeah. and all that kind of stuff how do you ensure against it yeah so if you if you look only at the first model which is the process-based uh flows, right? So, and uh, we'll talk about FAQs and uh, documents subsequently. But if you are looking at the process flows, the way we have built the application layer is uh, thick. And therefore, the reliance on underlying LLM has has come down significantly for in our case. So we have tried multiple models without changing the process. We, sh we shifted from one AI21 model to uh, then Claude 1, then Claude 2, and then uh, this is all on Bedrock. And then we tried the same on uh, Azure OpenAI's uh, 3.5 uh, Turbo, and we have tried it on DaVinci. The underlying models, all this we have tried without changing the process, and the output was consistent. And the reason for that consistency is because we have the uh, the process driving the uh, the entire uh, conversation. There was a quality difference in terms of deviation handling. For example, we we do we do make use of the uh, LLM to determine if there's a deviation. And when we uh, move to a higher quality model, they, they, are, they are able to predict the deviation quite well compared to an underlying model. But for an enterprise, this is a compromised experience, but not a showstopper. The, the, it's not a, a red flag for them. It's not a compromise at a brand level or at an enterprise level. It is just a, it looks like, okay, we are moving from, uh, 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 if, you, if you change the underlying model, the quality of the bot deteriorates, but it is still within the guard range. That's how we are solving the process problem. Mm -hmm. The second and third is on the FAQs and documents where FAQs and documents, 
uh, where we uh, have this problem of like when we shift from one model to another, the build part is fine. We will use, uh, we'll generate the build uh, embeddings using uh, uh, one model in the first go. But subsequently, when you are uh, in the runtime, when we are hitting this, uh, when we are shifting to between one model to another model, then the responses change a lot. And that's one area of concern for us today. And we are figuring out how to uh, get that get that also streamlined so that we, we want to make it model agnostic, at least to a set of uh, uh, commonly used models. We want to make this as an option for the enterprise because few enterprises are on AWS, few are on uh, Microsoft. So we want to provide that option to the end user so that they can pick the cloud of their choice and then connect because the, the existing stack, their application stack, their relation with underlying, uh, with the cloud provider could determine uh, which model to pick. Hmm. So yeah. it's important for us to make it uh, LLM agnostic. Yeah, that makes sense. So we spoke about RAG. You also mentioned FAQs. Presumably that is where a customer, a brand has a list of FAQs, questions, answers, and you're, in that instance, are you fine tuning a model with that data? Is that how you would describe that process? Or if not, what's the difference between the FAQ solution and the RAG solution? Yeah, so fine tuning is a custom service that we are doing today on a case to case basis. We have the framework outside the studio where we can fine tune the solution. And what we typically do is uh, we, we are very careful about fine tuning a model without uh, uh, validating the, the, the data which is going in. Fine tuning our understanding is it's not as easy as it looks. You need to, uh, it's garbage in, garbage out. And the fine tuning methods are also multiple different methods are there. So what we are doing today is we are initiating with the base model and we are letting the uh, conversations on. Uh, we, are, we are releasing the product and after a couple of months, we have enough data that is generated. That data we are using for fine tuning the underlying model. And this is happening only for few select models uh, today with Llama, uh, uh, Llama and few other models, we are doing this fine tuning option. Uh, and where there is a private deployment, enterprises are keen on fine tuning. That is when we are shifting to fine tuning. Otherwise, we are heavily dependent on retrieval augmented process. Yeah. Interesting. So <clears throat> today then, if someone was to use the kind of FAQ component and not RAG, is that... What do you do? Do you feed the questions and answers into a prompt and then ask the LLM to figure out the answer into that? Or is there a different way of doing it? So it's it's exactly like RAG. So each FAQ is like a oh, chunk, right? right? right. So yeah, you have a, uh, and we do a vector, this FAQs convert to embeddings, they are stored in database, and then we do a uh, closest matching embedding. We take more than one embedding, we do disambiguation of FAQs and get to the right effect right there. I'm with you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, that makes sense. And so, yeah, the 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 decision going back to what you were saying around you know being LLM agnostic and stuff like that makes sense. What what kind of was or, or why was the decision to use Amazon Bedrock uh, taken? And I wonder whether first of all, maybe for those that don't know, whether we could explain Amazon Bedrock and then you know why why that solution was the solution you went with. Yes. So first of all, about Amazon Bedrock is a service which recently AWS has released. 
to keep it simple it is a collection of uh, a lot of foundation models which are developed by uh, few leading ai uh, companies uh, ai21 anthropic is the one of the big player in the space today all these models are now available uh, via amazon bedrock and apart from providing access to this foundation models bedrock also provides more functionalities some uh, to fine tune the underlying large language model or to and there's a new feature called amazon bedrock agents where you can build the actions on top of uh, the amazon bedrock uh, uh, foundation models so there's there's lot of uh, action lot of things happening on amazon bedrock and i'm actually curious to hear more updates on what uh, bedrock is going to come up with that reinvent uh, uh, the month uh, at the end of the month so that's about bedrock and we chose bedrock we we are aws conversational ai competency partner we work closely with the aws team uh, and uh, initially when amazon lex was released back then uh, we tried out few of the models and we we uh, even helped amazon uh, uh, we worked with their engineering team built few uh, industry use cases and got them deployed onto the uh, onto the lex platform and they are also available as uh, uh, templates that enterprises can take and uh, play around so the, our relation goes long uh, with the aws so that's one reason why we went to bedrock apart from that aws has done it differently compared to microsoft microsoft i feel the 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 underlying both the clouds providers they finally have to sell the infrastructure the underlying models and infrastructure is what their business models are all around primarily uh, while the application layer is uh, like what we have seen recently which openai has announced uh, which is around uh, the assistants and the custom gpt is just a way they are showing to the world on how to build applications on top of uh, the foundation models i feel the strategy which openai is following is methods of how to uh, how to innovatively sell their uh, underlying foundation models finally they'll have to sell foundation models microsoft has to send the send the infrastructure that's how they are that that's how i believe they are taking this approach uh, they are taking this route uh, on the other hand aws is trying to keeping the enterprise in mind they are trying to give multiple options or different sizes different providers each uh, uh, foundation model has its own strength so now 2024 the way we are envisioning the market to evolve is that there'll be about 50-60% of the customers who will be okay to get exposed to public llms the powerful ones gpt4 uh, or cloud2 kind of llms but there will be a significant portion of uh, uh, population who would be interested in doing a private deployments and mm. because their use cases are small and their compliances are tight they would want to go with a small model maybe a llama 7b and then Uh, do a simple chat summarization for a tick, for their ticketing system those kind of use cases are are definitely high value because there's a lot of back, uh, back office work with which happens in customer support so these options are possible with uh, bedrock and I, I, my gut check is that uh, aws is going to provide multiple size to, uh, foundation models for each of this kind of problems and mm. that's the, that's another reason why we went uh, uh, for amazon bedrock yeah i think you're right i think amazon 
definitely will have a, a clear focus on enterprise customers. You know, the, the whole, that's obviously what AWS is basically. And then I think Microsoft will still be targeting enterprises via the open AI capabilities. Open AI for me seemed to be trying to go to market a, a little bit more like a B2C kind of company like exactly. a, like an Alexa or a Google Assistant or something like that you know like these these GPTs if you look at every single GPT that I've seen so far it's all been the equivalent of an Alexa skill it's a it's a book author uploading their books so you can ask questions about the book or it's a a, a hobbyist developer creating a dad jokes uh, thing you know or a recipe skill it's it's all the same kind of stuff basically um, so it's it's definitely I, I very much don't see brands building their own GPTs via chat GPT anytime soon um, they've tried to do the plugins maybe plugins might have legs it seems as though they, they could be a little bit uh, a bit of a sensible option but definitely from the enterprise standpoint you know AWS is uh yeah, no one ever got fired for yeah. using Amazon, you know. Yeah, it's um, more like a uh, Lego model that they have come up with uh, for you to build on top. And see, that's what I think that as a cloud provider, they need to empower the partners uh, in building uh, solutions on top of it. They need to focus, all the cloud providers should focus on the, the science part of it, come up with more powerful more, uh, uh, models, solve the latency problems, solve the... Uh, the quality problems, and then application layers should be left to the partners like us. So, I mean, that's yeah. my personal. No, take. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, tell us about the. You said that you've, there's a client who you've got a production deployment with. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that and what that use case looks like. Sure. So, this is a classic customer support use case where there's uh, there's about 500 calls, voice calls that they get every day. And there are about 25 uh, support agents addressing, and you can imagine the kind of uh, uh, tough time they go through, the rigor they go through to address those calls. And uh, so customer support automation solution powered by, I mean, which we have given to them is an obvious choice. They were looking for such a solution. And but the the difference is that they they took the uh, challenge and they were ready to try out an LLM powered solution which we have given because most of the enterprises are doing going to the wait and watch approach but this client of ours uh, was keen was interested and they did all the diligence uh, behind the scene what is happening what is the brand impact all that study they have done quickly and about a month back they got it deployed. And now the results are, I mean, we are yet to compute the final uh, ROI and uh, the results, but I have some numbers to share. Uh, for a week when we ran this uh, solution in production where real customers were interacting with the bot, uh, we were able to handle about 560 queries in this span of uh, uh, four days, four, four, four working days. And, and uh, now out of that, we got a 90% success rate. So 90% of the calls were contained and 10% were transferred to a human agent. And the calls that got transferred are also channeled to the right human agent with all the context and uh, the relevant information so that the agents can quickly resolve. So the feedback, initial feedback, we did an interview with a few set of uh, agents there and the feedback we got is really interesting encouraging they are now focusing on real serious problems and uh, leaving the uh, most of the work to the bot and they are trying to scale it now this is the phase one of the project where we have done one 
support auto one use case automation, which is a one process in our language. And now we are currently developing for five processes, which are which will cover almost 80% of the call volume that comes to their uh, agents today. And mm. that's one one part. And adding to this, we have also solved a problem of language barrier. So there are two languages which uh, typically these uh, queries come in. One is English, the other is Spanish. And with large language models, uh, we were able to solve it uh, quite easily because we built the process and we gave the instructions to the underlying LLM. All we had to do was uh, to, because most of the calls are decision making, which doesn't, which is language independent, only the response generation, we had to depend on the large language model and large language models did a good job when we give the seed right. So we give, we, in the build process, as I said, we do a lot of uh, processing at the build level itself. So we generated all the uh, res possible responses in Spanish and asked the end user to vet them. The, the, the client has gone through each of the responses and then they were okay with the kind of responses that are coming. And we use, again, we are not using them as it is because it looks more robotic. We use that as a seed to make it more human-like and the quality is uh, really good. So the, we solved the traditional customer support automation problem plus the language problem in this use case. Mm. So tell me about that language bit again. So <clears throat> you, you've ha you you if I understand this correctly, so someone will talk to it in Spanish. You use the large language model to generate the response in Spanish, but in the build process during testing, you sent all of those responses to the client to make sure that it was the correct response in the correct language. And then you feed that back to the model in production so that it's close enough to that when it gets a similar query again. Is that correct or not? Yeah, so in the in the build part, we use a high-end uh, large language model, right? So we use Claude 2 for all the build-related processes. And that gives us an option that gives us great flexibility because you, you generate all the uh, different variations in which uh, people can, uh, first of all, ask and then how the bot should respond. The seed is what we are generating. And this is all happening under the hood. I mean, there is a configuration option. People, uh, the customers, the enterprise customers can go and modify that uh, if needed. And that's what we have done in this case. And this yeah, in the build phase where we are using a, a, a robust model, we get a high quality output. And in the runtime, we use a small model, which where we get the advantage of latency and we are not generating the final response. We are giving a seed response. We are giving the full conversation. We are giving the state, the state from the process. And then we are asking it, asking the bot that this is the, asking the large language model to give a response, appropriate response. And we have engineered that prompt so well that we get an accurate answer. And so the, the answer is like exactly how it would, have, it would be in the build, but uh, adjusted to the current context and the current conversation. Hmm. Very nice. So the the in the build phase when you generate that initial those initial responses and the the initial utterances, <clears throat> you're seeding the lighter model with that at the appropriate turn. Is that is that I'm understanding that correctly? So let's yeah, say for for example goes, Go on. Sorry. Yeah, at the build phase we are using a high end model. 
and in yeah. the runtime we are using a lightweight model yeah. yeah so so in the in the build phase you use the high end model to generate the kind of responses that people the kind of things people might say and the kind of responses that would come that would be answered to that so let's give an example of somebody asking uh a very simple use case of somebody asking what time is it in new york so or what time is it anywhere in the world so in that in that build phase you would use the the good model the high-end model to generate all of the different things all of the different cities that someone might want to know the time in and the different ways that they might phrase that and then you would use the model to then translate all of that into spanish and then when somebody in the production environment says uh i don't know hora e new york i have no idea whether that's actually true spanish or not but it's something like that uh, <laughs> when they say that what time is it in new york in spanish do you then use that training data that you generated in the build phase to then seed that prompt so that the lighter model can kind of feed off of that in its response or not? Right, right. So the, the part, uh, I mean, it is in line with what you have, how you have narrated. There is uh, some amount of embeddings also that we do uh, right. at, at the process level where we generate the embeddings, use them. We use embeddings heavily, at, not just for the RAG uh, and FAQ, but even at a process level. So that initial seed input, sorry, the user input, we map it to the most relevant process, which is again a, a embeddings matching that we do. And once we know the response is what we have to uh, give it in Spanish. First of all, you need to understand the language. That is one LLM check that we do to seamlessly understand whether the user input has come in Spanish or English. Uh, so we see so we do multiple steps in the runtime using LLMs, not just one. Therefore, mm -hmm. we are very particular about using a low end LLM because there you get a good quality latency and we are dealing with voice. We cannot let the end user wait for like 10 seconds to respond. We need to do with all of this in four seconds. So one yeah. call to LLM typically takes about two seconds. We, we don't have that liberty of spending two seconds. So we use embeddings at multiple stages. So a lot yeah. of things are, get, are happening at, at the application level. And that's where I feel that that's where, when I initially said there is a thick application layer, we use all these large language models for small, small functions to make all these calls. And all this is like well wired under the hood and makes the life of the enterprises, I mean, makes the makes it very lean. And at the same time, at the build time, uh, the user don't have to do all the complex process, all the the flow charts and all they don't have to do. All they have to do is define the process at every stage. Mm. So, I mean, I'm not sure if I've completely answered your query. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so the SmartBots platform, is that a platform that... Um, for example, if 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 I'm a retailer and I want to utilize this, is this like a self-serve platform where I would just license it or some kind of model where I would, consumption-based model or whatever, where I would just use it myself? Or is it a kind of like a solution that goes hand-in-hand hand with SmartBots kind of like pro services to implement? Does that make sense? Is it a, is sure. it a kind of hands-free, I'll do it myself, or is it a kind of this needs some guidance and some some help? See, our objective is to make it do it yourself for uh, anyone, any industry, any domain. Uh, that's the path which we are taking. And uh, but today, the uh, most of our customers, especially the large ones, 
depend on our internal process. We have two teams. One is the core team, which builds this uh, studio uh, with all the engineering and data science background. And the other team, which uses, these are the first customers of our studio. And for the past uh, three months, we, have, we haven't opened it up for a general availability yet. Uh, or the internal customers are only using it. And we, are, we have opened it to one partner, a technology partner who is uh, trying to build on top of it. And by the, by the beginning of next year, we want to make it generally available after. So we are gradually moving towards making it generally available. But the final nice. objective is to make it completely do it yourself. Nice. Perfect. Nice one. Well, JP, this has been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely uh, intriguing. Uh, lovely deep dive into one, the platform, and two, generally how to construct and use large language models and generative AI effectively in the enterprise. I'm sure that, you know, if if the solution is working as you describe and it's got a 90% success rate for on the phone as well is, is pretty impressive, uh, then I'm sure that, you know, adoption will not be a problem. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. And so you're going to be you're going to be in Vegas. Is that next week? Yes, uh, I'll be there from 26th onwards, November. And if any one of the listeners are going to be there, I'll be happy to chat and then maybe uh, happy to share, give access uh, on a case to case basis to the studio. Uh, early early access is what we can provide, and also we can discuss a lot of interesting use cases, case studies. There's ton to discuss. And I'm really excited to meet as many people as possible. I'll be there for a week till 28 and lining up to meet as many people as possible. Brilliant. Well, good luck. I'm looking forward to seeing what what uh, announcements come from that as well, to be fair. You know, um, Amazon definitely probably a little bit slower out of the blocks, certainly than Microsoft on this kind of stuff, but they are certainly making moves. You know, there was announcements around Alexa incorporating large language models. They've got Amazon Bedrock and I'm sure that they'll be definitely making a strong push towards building out more capabilities and, and more features and stuff like that. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. Sure. If you are going to be there, if you're tuning in, definitely drop by and see JP and SmartBots. Um, if you're not, then you can always visit the SmartBots website. Is it smartbots.com? It's smartbots.ai. And, and my mail ID is also very simple, jp at smartbots.ai. So you can shoot out an email or I'm easily, uh, uh, find, you can find me on LinkedIn as well and, shoot out a message i'll be happy to respond perfect we'll do that we'll put your your linkedin uh on the sh- in the show notes we'll stick the website in the show notes as well and uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me it's been wicked thank you thank you again it's really uh really good talking to you today likewise uh and thank you all for tuning in we are uh next week what are we doing next week next week we will be speaking with uh uh, Noble. Noble is on VUX World next week. Uh, we're going to be discussing how Noble are getting on uh, with their platform, their opinions on the market and stuff like that. So maybe a, a continuation of a similar kind of discussion to today. Um, so do join us for that if you are around. Uh, and without further ado, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to speak very soon. <laughs>